The first reading is Romans chapter 2, verses 25 to 29. Circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you have not been circumcised. So then, if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the Lord will condemn you, who even though you have the written code and circumcision are a lawbreaker. A person who is not a Jew, who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcised sorry, a person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. And the second reading is Genesis chapter 11, verses 31 down to verse 4 of chapter 12. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. The Call of Abram The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. <clears throat> I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he went to Canaan. Uh, so as I said, uh, Alistair puts in his apologies, but we're going to continue uh, with our journey through the book of Romans. Uh, knowing that Alistair was sort of uh, partway through getting the message ready um, this week, um, hopefully I won't double up too much. Consider this as part one of um, the message and Alistair, if he wishes to, you can carry on with part two, giving you the, the finer details of circumcision, if you like. I'll, I'll leave that to him. Hope he's, um, hope he's got the heads up on that online if he's listening. <laughs> um, but whether it's me talking today or Alistair um, carrying on with it next week, um, I think both of us will have um, been heading towards the same conclusion, the same end point. And the end point is which um, Paul mentions at the end of chapter two. It's in verse 29, it's this. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. Paul discusses that same attitude of the heart in many of his letters to the churches. Uh, if you uh, get the uh, email sent out uh, from the office, you've seen this week Bianca had as a header uh, another uh, couple of verses from Paul's letter um, to the Colossian church. 
And it's on a similar um, line as, as this uh, verse from Romans 2. She had Colossians 3, 23 to 24. And it says this, Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as, you, as your reward, and that the master you are serving is Christ. And it's that heart attitude uh, for God, to God. It reminds me of the Salvation Army uh, mission, a heart to God and a hand to man. And today, while we look at the covenant of circumcision, we may realise that the same warning could be applied to any Christian tradition or routine. Communion, baptism, infant baptism, attending church. Such traditions and routines can be, and I hope, are very pleasing to God. But we can also use such to feel that we've done the right thing, even through the eyes of others or our own expectations and standards. See, some of the Jews that Paul was addressing, the Christian Jews, saw that the act of circumcision was still the end all. It was a guarantee to salvation for them. And it can be similar to that with uh, the Gentiles, uh, non-Jews, not just Christians, but the worldview. I think there, there are probably many people out there who actually do believe in a God, do believe that there's a heaven, but their attitude is, I've been a, a good person. I haven't killed anyone on purpose. Um, I haven't stolen anything. Uh, and I, I try to treat most people equally. I've earned my way into heaven. I've done, I've, I deserve a place in heaven. It's that sort of world attitude if they believe in a God and a heaven. Um, and it was similar to, I guess, the country of Ur, where Terah and Abraham uh, were from. There they worship a whole numerous number of gods and uh, idols. They found all the different possible ways to make the way forward into eternity, into the given uh, promise. Um, and today, I think we ha live in a world, in a, in a nation, where we're ready to accept any possible way forward except the one true way forward, and that's through Jesus Christ and believing in him. And so maybe not too dissimilar. And just as God made a covenant with Abraham and his descendants, we can read the new, about the new covenant that God has made for you uh, in the book of Romans as well. Paul uh, declares it later on in Romans. In chapter 10 he says this, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the new covenant. Like the nation of Israel, we can let other things get in the way as we try and keep our side of the covenant with God. It may even be that there are certain areas of our lives that we don't quite give over to Christ in fullness. Let's explore this through looking at where the circumcision covenant begins with the call of Abraham. So at the end of chapter 11, which Sue read to us, uh, in, in Genesis, we're told that Terah, Abraham's father, decides to move some of the family from Ur and heading towards Canaan. Now, we aren't told there that God had uh, instructed or called Terah. Um, in fact, later on, we then see that uh, God has called Abraham. 
And so some scholars, you know, wonder about this. Uh, did Terah get instructed or was it just Abraham? Everywhere else throughout the Bible, even when um, uh, the martyr Stephen uh, speaks up, he talks about Abraham being called. And later in Genesis 12 and, and beyond that, we hear that Abraham was called by God even back in Ur, not just in Haran. Um, and so my, my guess is that um, either God silently inspired Terah to be moving his family uh, at the same time as being Abraham being called, but more likely Terah is simply the senior of the family, and so when they say the family moved, they talk about the dad, the, the oldest one. Whatever the case, it appears that it is Terah who is most likely the cause for the stop, the halt in the journey, where we see he stops halfway uh, on his trip and settles in Haran. So Ur is over here and goes up halfway, gets to Haran and stops there rather than coming to the land of Canaan. Uh, it's only after he dies that we see Abraham continue God's call and continue to Canaan. Uh, last time I, uh, I shared the message of Romans with you, I alluded to some parables as we looked at Romans as well that Jesus spoke. And again, I just uh, would like to share and again, another parable which might allude to the, in regards to the three men we hear of in the story of Terah, of Lot, Abraham's nephew, and of Abraham. And I want us to consider the parable of the sower and the four soils. Let me just go through that um, parable, well known parable. I'll just explain it again for you, just to revise ourselves. Uh, Jesus says about a story about a, a farmer. He goes out to sow some seed. And as he sows the seed out, throws it out, some lands on the hard soil of the pathway. And the birds come down and, and eat it before it has a chance to even start growing. And he keeps on sowing, and some goes on soil which is quite shallow and stony. And it grows, but because it's so shallow and stony, the sun withers it before it gets a chance to really grow in its fullness. The farmer keeps on sowing, and uh, he sows in another area which the ground looks good, but as it grows, so do weeds and thistles. And they grow up, and they cover the, wee, the, uh, the wheat and, and kill it, and stop it from growing to its fullness again. And then in other areas, uh, the farmer sows a seed, and it goes onto fertile soil. and doesn't just grow really well, it keeps on multiplying. Because okay, there's the, the parable of a sower. And so too, the hearts of um, many of the Claudians in, in Ur, where Terah uh, had his family, were a wee bit like um, that hardening of the pathway. Uh, the hearts of many at that time and in that area were simply hardened to hearing the one and only true God, much like the seed falling on the pathway there, swallowed up by birds. So two men's hearts were hardened and would not acknowledge the word of the one true God. And yet there was this call to this family, to Abraham and his family, to hear that one true word. Perhaps uh, Terah, Abraham's father, was able to at least taste the word of God as he joined his son to journey to Canaan. But like the seed that grew on the shallow stony soil, his enthusiasm only lasted so long and completed only half the journey. God had told Abraham to move to Canaan, 
that was the land of the promise. Tira got as far as to Haran, which is the land of comfort. And he stopped there. Do we have areas in our lives where we only meet God halfway to the fullness of what he wants to give us or what we said would do for him? Do we start off enthusiastically in one area of our lives just to wane off from what our initial offering was to be? Do we stop at the land of comfort, of self-satisfaction, or the feeling that we've done all that we could expect to be to do? Just Maybe it's in just one part of our lives, and, and it is important that we take time to, to have a Sabbath rest and sometimes reflect on hearing from God and seeing if there is an area of our lives that we've halted on, uh, which we said we'd glorify Jesus in. We also have... Uh, Abraham's nephew Lot and he comes along for the journey and he follows Abraham and he gets to Canaan the promised land and there both Abraham and Lot keep on growing their wealth and their flocks and to a certain point where there's a bit of conflict between the herdsmen of both families and they decide that they better head off in different directions just to get rid of those conflicts arising Abraham in his humility he tells his nephew Lot to look around and and choose which way he wants to go. And he can look east and west, and if, if Lot chooses east, he'll go west, and if Lot goes west, then Abraham will go east. And Lot looks around, and he, his eyes fall on the land, uh, the choice land of the east, of the Jordan Valley, green pastures. Uh, and the Jordan Valley, not very far away from Sodom and Gomorrah. So this is where he settles, and appears to do very well for himself. Perhaps a little too well. For it seems like the seed planted in the soil where thistles and weeds began to grow and choke out the seed growing there, uh, that the riches and possessions and all the worries which go with that of this world stop Lot from maturing. In fact, we read on in Genesis and we find that when God is ready to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, that it takes two angels to drag him out of those cities. You know, uh, he's reluctant to leave even this wicked area. And even begs um, the angels say, please let me settle in a little town not too far off, rather than leave all that he had become accustomed to. So like Lot, are there areas or times in our lives that we cling on to the things of this world, which inhibit us from following the fullness of God's calling in our lives? Was there an area in our life that we must have control over and can't quite offer it all to God? Or do we have worries about certain area and think, oh, we just need to sort this out ourselves? Uh, just yesterday, driving back, um, uh, Faith back from uh, classes of ballet, uh, she, she added this little fun fact she'd learnt. Uh, and it's a very true fact. It was this, that it's impossible to have anxiety and gratitude at the same time. It's impossible to be anxious about something and grateful to God for what he's doing in your lives at the same time. So that's a really good little reminder for me to think, all right, rather than worrying, let's be grateful to Jesus, what he's doing right now. And I can only do one or the other. Thanks, Faith, for that little fun fact. And then we have Abraham. Uh, God instructs him to leave his home and country, all that he's known was life, 
and Abraham obeys. God promises him the land that he moves to, uh, to his descendants. In fact, um, Abraham goes for a little bit of a tiki tour. When he goes there, God takes him through the whole land, down to Egypt and back up and backwards and forwards to show him and reveal him uh, the land that he has promised. And God promises Abraham that nations and kings will come from him, even though at the present time he doesn't even have a son. And God promises that many nations will be blessed because of him. And just like the seed that falls on good soil, which multiplies and produces, we can see an abundance of God's blessings on Abraham, so that his descendants are more numerous than the stars that he can count in the sky, or the grains of sand beside the sea. You see, God instructs Abraham to do a number of things, and, and Abraham responds with immediate obedience. When God calls Abraham to the covenant of circumcision, Scripture tells us that that very day, Abraham goes through the process. He doesn't sort of think, oh, yeah, I must do that. A week later, he thinks, oh, I had that on my list. Better write that down and do. He is immediate in his obedience. I've mentioned before when I've um, talked about the story of Abraham, how um, symbolic uh, the story is, that it pre-enacts many of the things that God wanted to reveal to us about his promise and his, his um, plan to save mankind. And so if you think again about how uh, when Abraham does have his son Isaac and uh, one day God instructs him to sacrifice his son, he goes on a three-day journey to a certain mountain. For three days, Isaac's as good as dead to Abraham because he knows what God is um, telling him to do. And yet he believes in some way, even doing that, that God will raise his son from the dead. And when he gets to a mountain, uh, scholars presume that mountain's probably the hill of Golgotha. It's probably the same place that Jesus, one and only Son of God, died uh, on the cross. So we see those symbolisms all throughout Abraham's life. Um, and it's probably uh, not surprising then that uh, the calling of Abraham and the promise of a son are key milestones in God's plan to save humanity. Uh, and that much of what Abraham is instructed to is symbolic. So too the covenant of circumcision acts out God's plan of salvation that he has hinted at um, beforehand. If we go right back to Genesis, to the fall of man, um, we see the result, and then God makes some statements about what's going to happen next. And part of that proclamation, he talks to the serpent, the devil, Satan, the deceiver, and he says this, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring, the seed of the devil, and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And the image there is, um, I think, symbolic of what God then says, that through the um, seed of a woman, through Abraham and Sarah, uh, a promise begins. Even with the account of Noah, uh, we see God making a covenant in which he promises a way where he will never again destroy all mankind because of our sin. And uh, we think about that whole concept, uh, again, symbolic of what God's plan is for the future. Uh, he calls Noah, sets him apart, saves him in the ark, 
and then all sinful man is cut off through the flood. And God gives us a promise to Noah and to mankind. And I've used the King James or New King James Version here because they use the right sort of words to see this link to the covenant of circumcision. It says this, Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. You see, the act of circumcision is symbolic of removing sin, um, to be set apart uh, and to be holy for God. Later on, and again in Paul's letters, he explains this a little bit further, what we can see God showing symbolically earlier on in the Old Testament, Paul tries to explain to us. Uh, and he explains this with the new covenant, the covenant of what the covenant of circumcision is really about. And he calls this the circumcision of Christ. The cross of Christ is a decisive and final cutting off of the flesh. Jesus was cut off for us so that we aren't destroyed in God's war on corrupt humanity. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, God condemns sin in the flesh. And he did so without condemning us along with it. And perhaps when you think about the journey of the cross and Jesus there crucified, perhaps a key moment that helps us to remind that Jesus is cut off so that we can survive and that we can live forever is when Jesus calls out, My Father, my Father, why have you forsaken me? So Paul explains this again in another letter to Colossians, chapter 2, verses 11 to 13. When you came to Christ... You were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. God calls you today into a covenant, an everlasting relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. Again, going back to uh, Romans 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We respond to this, this, his call when we participate in communion together. Not as a Christian tradition, but as an act demonstrating our new relationship with God. We respond to God's call when we feel the Spirit prompting us to be baptised, and we want to show God that we choose to die to sin in this world so that we can be raised to eternal life with Jesus. We respond to God's call when we don't grow weary of gathering together, not for the sake of a routine or Christian tradition, but because God has called you. He's called you by name, and we choose to take every opportunity to praise his name. Going back to verse Chapter 2, verse 29. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law, rather is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. If we were going to add anything more to that verse, I'd go to the Gospel and look at what Jesus says uh, for us to do and the result of that. And it's not that... It's just 
um, giving praise to God ourselves rather than uh, getting it from people, but it's in whatever we do that it makes others around us praise God too. With Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Mm, let's pray. Lord, we long to serve you. We long to serve you alone. Everything we do, Lord, each moment of the day, let it be to glorify you. Lord, forgive us when we, we stop halfway, we don't fulfill what we said we'd do for you. Forgive us when we look um, for praise from others rather than just simply looking at what you ask us to do and, and serving you. But Lord, I pray too that today and this week and the time that you give each one of us that we would live, be your hands and your feet, so that others wouldn't just see us, but they would actually instead see your hand upon us. They would see that you are acting in this world and in their lives, and that they would praise your name. Lord, if, if anyone here has not given themselves to you fully, now we have the chance to say, Lord, we believe in you. You are our saviour and king. We give our lives to you. Lord, hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.